Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Enjoy that. My name is Kyle Burkholder. I'm the pastor here at Covenant Church. I'm excited that you're here with us. We are going to move right in to uh, week two of our sermon series. It's called Revival. Revival has been in the news lately. There have been revivals happening. You heard about this maybe. And the question get, that gets asked is, what is revival? Um, what do I need to know about it? Last week, we defined it sort of um, by basically saying that, that it's a fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God on God's people. Um, in, in the most literal sense, revival just means coming alive again. And so last week, we defined it. We uh, talked through it in a biblical sense. What is it and what does it look like? This week, what we're going to look at is, what are the hindrances of revival? What are the things that hold revival back in a community? In order to do that, we're going to have uh, three texts that we're going to kind of skip through. So imagine skipping a stone across the water. We're going to do that, kind of skip through three different texts. So sometimes we take a long time and we spend hours on one passage and we break it up over multiple weeks today. We're going to skip through them because I think you're going to see how they all connect to where we're going today. Um, And so we're going to start in Genesis 26. We'll put it on the screen. You can read it along with me. And Genesis 26 says this. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names that his father had given them. Okay, so we feel like, you feel like you're jumping in the middle of a story because you are. Abraham's son Isaac is living in the land of the Philistines. This is the same Isaac who was taken up to be sacrificed, and then God provided a, a goat in the thicket. And Okay, so this is Isaac. Isaac is now, Abraham is dead, and Isaac is living in the, the land of Gerar, in the city of Gerar. And the people there, the Philistines, have seen Isaac become powerful. He's favored by God, and his power is growing, and his wealth is growing. And the Philistines become uncomfortable with Isaac, and they say, hey, maybe you just need to leave. Like, maybe give us some space because it's a little much for us. And so, essentially, they kick Isaac out of the city, and he has to go live in the valley, which is to say he needs to go live in the wilderness. And the wilderness in this uh, situation is, is called the Negev Desert. So if you know anything about that region, uh, we'll put a map up. You can kind of get a sense for where it is in modern-day Israel. And then you can also see to the right, this is what the landscape looks like. This is actually Gerar, present day. That hill there is where the city would have been. And so this is where we're pointing where that arrow is. Give you a little context. What you would notice really quickly, if you look at the picture on the right, is that um, this doesn't look like that fertile black black swamp soil that you're going to be growing stuff out of. Farming is possible, but pretty difficult. It doesn't rain very often. It's really dry. The, the, The arid conditions make farming difficult. And so Isaac is going out to live in the wilderness. He's going out to live in this sort of environment where there is no living water. There's no running water. There are like dry stream beds that fill up only when it rains. And there's not a whole lot of opportunity uh, to find water. And what is water? It's life. If you were told to go live in the woods, the first thing you'd look for is water. So Isaac has to leave the city. He goes out and he needs water. So he has to dig wells. What you hear is Abraham had dug wells back in his life, and then the Philistines, even though they had some treaties with Abraham, the Philistines, when Abraham died, they covered over all the wells. They buried the wells. 
Isaac knows where those wells are. They kind of live on in the, the consciousness of the people. And so Isaac goes and finds the places where Abraham's wells were, and he digs them out. So the source of life, here's what we're trying to see here as we get started. The source of life, the water in the desert, had been concealed by the Philistines. In order to find life, Isaac goes back to the source of life. He goes back to the original wells and redigs them. He restores them, and as a result, as a reopening, he's able to then thrive. So the first thing we need to see as we kind of skip through these passages, the first thing you see is in order to find truth, you have to recognize that what was true is true. This matters. What was true is true. Isaac is inheriting the Negev desert. And he has to think through, where do I find life? What is life in the desert? It's water. Where do I find water? What was true is true. Where the wells were is where they are and where they'll always be. He even names them the same thing that Abraham had named them. He goes back to the original source and he goes, what was true is true. That's the first thing we want to see. If you bury the source of life, you might learn at the end of the day today, if you bury the source of life, you you can't survive. But when the source is revealed, life can thrive again. God is the source of life, okay? And then God becomes flesh in the form of Jesus. So we keep going. We skip through 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life, concerning Jesus. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Light and life are in Jesus, the word of God made flesh. The word of God made flesh. Light and life are in Jesus. And so John says, having walked with Jesus, having known Jesus, John says, to to walk with him now that he's been resurrected, is to live out of that light. It's to live in the light, and in the light you will find life. We're not done. Psalm 119, we keep skipping. Psalm 119 says this, Your word, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it, the psalmist says, that I will follow your righteous laws. I've suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart, and my heart is set on keeping your decrees till the very end. So the psalmist says, preserve my life. Another, another area where life, we got to like, how am I going to survive this? How am I going to get through this? Where am I going to find hope? Where is life? He says, preserve my life according to your word. What does that mean? He says, teach me your laws. I won't forget your laws. I will not stray from your precepts. Your statutes are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees. This is all law-based thinking. Follow the law. Follow your precepts. Follow your teaching. Obey your word. It's all obedience and law-based. And he says this, your word is a lamp 
unto my feet. So let's get into that. Let's contrast what you and I think of and what is the reality here. You and I, when we think of a lamp, what do we think of? It's a pretty cool looking lamp. It's like a tree. Very trendy. That's a lamp to us. You click it, the whole room lights up. On the right, you will see what they're referring to, a biblical lamp. It's a clay candle. It's got a little bit of oil into it and a little wick. And that's how much it lights. So when, when the Bible says, your word is a lamp unto my feet, picture the thing on the right. Not Alexa, turn on the lights and the house illuminates. It's a lamp you hold in your hand. It's a candle. And if you put it close enough to the ground, you can see what's around you. Consider taking one birthday candle and walking through your house with it in, in the middle of the night. This is a lamp unto my feet. This is what the psalmist is referring to. And this gives us a different picture, because in an electrified world, we miss it. But the, the picture here is, is that in a world of darkness, First John, in a world of darkness, Jesus is the light. God's word, both God's word in the flesh in the form of Jesus and God's word in his law and his parables and his poetry and his history and his beauty, God's word becomes a lamp into my feet. What does that mean? That means that Jesus will guide you through the darkness. That means that God's word will guide you through the darkness. But there's a faith implied in that little lamp. You and I are planners. How many of you have a planner you keep, just by show of hands? A planner, some sort of planner. It's a calendar, it's online, or it's a physical planner. You keep it. Yeah. We have, I have a personal online calendar. I then have a physical weekly planner. We have a family calendar where all of our calendars come in and combine like Wonder Twins activate. We have like a, all it comes together, and then you can see everybody's thing in one spot. Then... We all, we, that's not it. Then we have a calendar on the wall where all the things from the digital calendar get put on the calendar on the wall. And my wife writes like a month and a half worth of everything on the wall. And still, I have to ask, what time do we pick up the girls on Tuesday? Because we're planners, and yet even that it doesn't feel like it's working. What's my point? I can't map out my whole life, is the idea. But if I hold to God's word, if I stick close to Jesus, if I uphold the truth, if I follow the law, that lamp, that little lamp, how much light does it provide? Only enough for my next step. And you and I are planners. We want to know what's happening not just this week or this month or next year. Tell me where the stock market's going to be in 2028. It'll help me make my investment choices. And, and the word of God is a lamp unto my feet. It provides enough light for the next step. That's a faith we're actually uncomfortable with. Because the faith that that requires is that I would take one step and, and re-engage with God, with the light, with the lamp. I, I got to take another step and I got to see what's next. And we want to plan out the next 30 years of our lives and have a great master plan. And then God, will you get in on that plan with me? And this is saying the word of God, the presence of God is a lamp unto your feet. And the lamp means you can take one more step and then ask me again. Take one more step and ask me again. And that is a wild, radical, slow faith. Almost like when Jesus says the path is going to be narrow and few who find it. It's almost like there's parallels there too, where, where finding the path that God would have you on is not going to be easily, it's not a strobe light illuminated way down the path. It's one step at a time walking lockstep with the Holy Spirit in your life. It's small, 
Staying in the light, then, if the light is small, if it's a, a lamp light, it's of a step at a time kind of light, staying in that light requires intentionality. The other thing that's true is we can get out of step with that really quickly. I can outpace the light. I can get away from the light. I can do my own thing and then come back to the light on occasion and make sure I'm still doing the right thing. In one way or another, what we find is we have left the light. And so staying in that one step at a time faith with the Lord is an intentional step. And if we're going to live this life to its fullest and to flourishing, it would be essential. Not that the light of Jesus isn't all-powerful, not that God's light is not overwhelming. It's that we exist in a world of darkness. The Bible is clear that the world is currently, it's currently ruled by the prince of the power of the air. It's currently ruled by forces of darkness. We heard last week when we did baptisms, we heard Quinn's testimony. Quinn said, there will be a day, basically. There's going to be a day, the Bible talks about it, no more pain, no more suffering, no more illness. There'll be healing. There'll be joy. There will be light. There'll be no more darkness. And that's what we're pushing towards. That's what we're trying to create. That's why we want revival. We want heaven as it is. We want earth as it is in our heaven. We want more of that here now. But we also recognize that that isn't the current reality of our world. And so we need to then lean back into the light because the world is still darkness. Which brings me to a little story. I don't know uh, how many of you knew this, but we, my family, we've been planning for 10 years uh, a trip, a family trip, just for the four of us, to South Africa. And so it finally came to fruition. We left uh, right after Easter service. We ran home, grabbed our bags, and went to the airport. We spent, um, we spent like three days in airports, but then six days in South Africa. We, my wife and I had lived there. We're former missionaries there, so we have a bunch of friends and family, it feels like, and, and our pastor is there. And so we went almost as a family reunion, but also to introduce our kids to a way of life that makes our family a little weird, if we're just being honest. We eat some weird things, and we have some strange practices, and the values we hold are, are really shaped a lot by our time there. So we went to South Africa, and we ministered to folks, and we fed the community, and we, we just had a blast. We also did a safari. Because, you know, why are you going to go all the way around the world and not have a safari? And uh, we had an incredible, just an incredible time. One night, uh, one night we tracked a leopard for four hours. And that's my 10-year-old, eight feet from a wild leopard that didn't want to get seen. We spent four hours tracking this thing. Finding a leopard is like looking for a ghost, except it's nighttime, and then it's doubly hard. But we had these incredible game ranger and tracker, and they find the thing, and we're chasing it all around the bush. It was incredible. So we have these incredible experiences. Uh, we had multiple close encounters with lion. Uh, one night we had a whole pride of lion that we stumbled upon. There they are drinking, which is a sound that I don't think I want to hear too much more of. Uh, it's nightmare fuel there. On the right, it's kind of blurry. So what I did is on the right, we took both of these pictures. This is from 10 days ago. I zoomed in on the lion on the right. I cut out what's uh, under that bush because if I hadn't, you would see a giraffe carcass. So we drove up on this lion taking a break from eating a giraffe. And to see a giraffe standing is pretty majestic. To see it, less majestic. So we're watching this lion on the right, and it's just like, you know, you're 10 feet from this kind of growling, huffing, really full, sort of tired, but still not real happy lion. And we're like, this is incredible. Just the access and the creation and the majesty and the hugeness. And so there's that bush on the left side, and it, it dragged the giraffe under this. Why do they drag the giraffe? Well, it's like 
Lion uh, refrigeration. So get it out of the sun. It keeps longer. So I was like, oh, that's smart. And so we're done with it. We're moving on. We're like, well, this has been great. You could sit there all day, but kind of weird. So we start driving away, and we're driving this direction, so from right to left on the screen there, and around the bush we go, and there are more lions on the other side of the bush that we hadn't seen yet. Female lions were laying on that side of the bush, completely full, sleeping, yawning, scratching, showing us their teeth, taunting us, all the things. And it was like, oh, I mean, that's pretty spooky. We didn't even see them. And there's a few, you know, there's a 400-pound wild animal that could eat me just kind of hanging out. This is perfect for today. Because on our safari, before you go out, is a really nice place. Before you go out, they have tea time. So you come on in, and they have tea and coffee. It's very British. It's very lovely. So you have tea. More tea, sir? Sure, I'll have more tea. More coffee? Sure, more coffee. Why not? I mean, I'm going to do a lot of hard work by sitting in a Land Rover and watching you find animals. This is, give me more energy. So you're having tea and coffee all day, and then you go on the, the evening safari ride, and you're out in this vehicle, and then right about sundown, when the, the sun starts to fall behind the mountains, it's just the most picturesque, beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. They stop the Land Rover, they open up the back, and there's a little light that comes on, just enough to, like a lamp under my feet, maybe, and there's just enough light, and they bring out a table, and they're like, how would you like some pretzels and drinks? Let's just enjoy the scenery for a minute. So we do, we enjoy the scenery. There's a zebra 12 feet away, and it's just staring at me like, why are you having pretzels and I'm eating grass? And so we're just having pretzels, and we're having drinks, and we're doing all the things, and that's like a 15-minute little stop along the way, which is a lot of liquid, especially as you get older. So I'm having all this coffee, all this tea. It's a four-hour period between the start of the thing and the end of the thing where you get to go back to a first-world restroom, and in the middle, you're like, well, I'm in the middle of Africa. It is pitch black. We have one light that's showing off the back of a Land Rover onto the ground, enough that I can see where the pretzel jar is, and I really got to pee. <laughs> Kids, it's Fifth Sunday. We're going to talk about peeing a little bit. So what happens is I go to the game ranger. I'm like, look, I got to go, and I, I mean, we got like two more hours here. And so I'm looking around like I would look around here, and I'm trying to find a tree. I'm trying to find a bush. I'm trying to something to hide myself. This is how I felt, exactly like that. <laughs> Inside, it was just like that. And the game ranger says, don't go far. <laughs> and I'm like, but, I mean, it's just our family, two game rangers, and one other couple. No one's going to be, you know, it's, we're okay. We're doing this. But I'm like, I'm not just going to, what do you mean don't go far? If I go three feet, it's utter blackness. How far can I? And he's like, don't go far. <laughs> and you come to find out, as the stories tumble out over the course of the hours we spent with these guys over the, the, the days, that people have gone around the corner and not known that there was two lions laying there. People get to the other side of the tree, and there's a leopard asleep, and now you're with the leopard. They talked about a game ranger five years ago. A game ranger, someone who knows what they're doing, was walking through the bush with some tourists. He's taking them on a bush walk. And a, a leopard jumped out of nowhere. No one saw it because you're not supposed to see it. They don't want to be seen. Jumped out, grabbed him by the neck, up a tree, into the ranger. And they tell us this story, and I'm like, but I really got to go. <laughs> what did we learn? 
you learn to stay in the light. You learn that if you leave the light, there's darkness all around. If you leave the light, there are threats you cannot even see. The psalmist sees the world like that. The light of the world is a lamp unto my feet. The only way to see where the next step is is to you gotta stay in the light. You leave the light, there are threats you cannot see. If we cover up the light, what then? Back to Isaac. If you cover up the source of life, if you bury it, Jesus might say, if you hide it under a bushel, what then? Then life is extinguished there as well. There are threats you cannot see. The hindrance to revival that we're going to come to, we're going to, what is the hindrance then? So what are you getting at? I, see, I, see, I can kind of feel like I'm piecing it together, but what is he getting at? What holds us back from revival? What holds us back from new life? What holds us back from experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives? From life returning to this town or to your school, to this church or your nation? When the source of life is buried, when the light is snuffed out, when we stray from the light, we find trouble. So let me tell you what hindrance is not. So many of the things we tend to blame, oh, it's got to be this. This is the problem today. These days, this is the problem. We, we blame a lot of things that are symptoms and not the disease. So let's say what those are out loud so we know it's not that. People say it's modernity. Modernity is the problem. It's just the pace of life. Things are different. We're busier. There's a breakdown of the nuclear family. And okay, you could say that if you want to say that. It's not that. People say it's technology. It's technology, though. It's social media. Pretty soon you're going to go, it's artificial intelligence. That's the problem. Nope. Those are nice distractions. Those are not the source of the problem. People will say, not that modernity. You think it's that. It's a different modernity. Don't misunderstand. It's, it's like this whole postmodernism. It's, it's this everything is relative. That's what the problem is. The problem is that it, we have gender confusion and sexuality things and modern psychology and hyper-politicization. We have all these problems. Toxic masculinity or violent uber-femininity or whatever. We, we blame all these things. It's that thing. Nope. That's not it. Those are symptoms, not the source. Somebody will get clever at some point and they'll appeal to me directly. They go, you know what it is? It's a divided church. It's denominationalism and it's division in the body of Christ. It's disunity. Jesus prayed for unity. We have disunity. It's that, right? Nope. Yeah, but the church across town, did you hear what they're doing? And I go, yep, don't care. It's not that. Those are symptoms of the problem. Those aren't the, the cause of the problem. The hindrance to revival is untruth. The Bible is really clear. The hindrance to revival is untruth. The thing that keeps us from living out the flourishing life God has intended for us is untruth. Genesis 26, the Philistines bury the wells. They cover the source of life. They cover truth. They can't have life without the source. First John, if we claim to walk with him, but will we really still walk in darkness? The Bible says we live a lie. We are outside of truth. There's no life in the darkness. Psalm 119, the wicked set a snare for me. Solution, but I have not strayed from your precepts. The wicked set a snare, but the way, out of the way out of the trap of the enemy is what? It's truth. It's the word. It's the law. It's the sun. When truth is hidden, there is no revival. Revival is simply life being restored. It's the coming back to life. It's coming alive again. It's the out, outpouring of the Spirit in a fresh new way. It's the intensification of the ordinary operations of the Spirit. So if we want God's fullness poured out, if we want God's spirit overflowing, if we want revival, we have to embrace God's truth in its fullness. I told you I was reading a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones called Revival. I'm going to put a quote up on the screen from Martin Lloyd-Jones so we can read it together. The need, we say, 
is the need of an outpouring of the Spirit of God, revival. But clearly, by definition, the Spirit of God can only be outpoured on and can only honor his own truth. The Holy Spirit cannot honor a lie. He cannot honor a negation of the truth. The Spirit who is poured out in revival is the same as the one who led these people to write the books of the Bible. It is he who has given the truth and safeguarded its writing in an infallible manner. This is the truth of the Spirit. So, if we want the blessing of the Holy Spirit, clearly, we must make sure that our position conforms to his truth, and we have no right to ask for his blessing unless we observe the conditions that he himself has laid down. Man, that is heavy hammer truth. The Holy Spirit of God cannot endorse a lie. He cannot bless a lie. He will not be part of a negation of truth. He will not get involved and, and come on and like, hey, get on board, Holy Spirit. We're going like 80% the true way. The Holy Spirit can't do it, won't do it, not a part of it. Cannot honor a lie. What is darkness? Darkness is defined by the absence of light. We're swimming in a world that is absent of light. The light of the world, the light of the world is Jesus, the Word of God. It's about who we are and why we're here. It's about what life is about, what the truth really is. Our absence of revival is directly related to an absence of truth in our world. We're going to have a whole series about this this summer, about the lies of the enemy, the lies that stalk us in the darkness. First Peter 5 says it this way. It says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Right around the other side of the bush. Leave the, dark, leave the light into the darkness. Guess what happens? Your enemy waits. The enemy waits long enough for, leave, long enough for us to leave the light. The enemy waits. It might snatch us away when we just go, well, I'm going to just take a little, little detour. Not just in behavioral things. So yes, we allow lies to invite us into darkness behaviorally. It's true. But what does God's word say is what we're really aiming for. Deeper than like, I got to get rid of this habit or I, gotta, I got this sin issue. Or I, deeper than that. What does God's word say? If the Holy Spirit cannot honor a lie, we must be a people about the truth. And so if you're in here and you go, Lord, I need you to revive my health. I need a personal revival, but physically. I need a physical revival. My health is flagging for whatever the diagnosis. When we pray, Lord, revive my health, the prayer should be first, show me the lies of my heart. Show me the place where I'm not rooted in truth. Lord, revive my marriage. Show me what lies have taken root. Lord, revive my faith. Show me what lies are sowing doubt. Lord, revive my business, my child, my hope, my joy. Second part of that prayer has to be show me the lies. Show me the lies, Lord. Show me the places where darkness has snuck in. Show me the places where I've actually walked out of the light. If you show me the lies in your life, I'll show you the hindrance to revival. And the biggest lie out there is one of identity. Who are you and who does God say you are? The Bible would say that if you're a follower of Jesus, you become a child of God, co-heirs of the kingdom of heaven. You're a son or a daughter of the king. You are worthy of life and love. You are called to a purpose. You are called for glory. You are called to shine in brilliance. And if we have exchanged that identity for something less, for something cheap, for something disposable, because somebody else convinced you or because you just didn't feel worthy to what God has called you to be. Today's your day to look 
towards the Lord and say, I am who you say I am. And maybe you say it in triumph because it's like, yeah, I am who you say I am. And maybe you say it in great remorse because you haven't been living that out, but you get to say, I am who you say I am. And today I'm making a change. Today I'm going the right direction. Today I'm back in the light. Today I'm going where I need to go so I can get back in the truth, so I can experience your life again. My prayer is that God would revive our world, yes, and our nation and our city and our church and our families, yes. My prayer is that he would start with you personally. He would expose the lies and draw you into the light of truth, that you would learn to walk by faith one lamplight step at a time. You would set your heart on his word. You would set your joy in his ways. You would uncover that wellspring of life. You would dig where the source of truth has always been and then drink from its fullness. And in doing so, you would experience the wild revival that God wants for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are in this place. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be alive and active among us and that we would be getting out of the way in terms of hindering it. Father, find us rooted in your truth and nothing less. And Lord, where there are are, uh, lies we bought into, where there's darkness that we've uh, subscribed to, Father, help us to eliminate those things from our life. Help us to remove those, those spots of darkness, to run back to you, to run back to the source. Lord, we want a fresh outpouring of your Spirit in this place. We want an intensification of the work of the Spirit. It starts with conviction. Lord, convict us where we need it. And call us. Call us into your goodness and your presence. Father, give us the assurance of who we are in you. That we are your children, called for a purpose, bound for glory. And then, Father, sanctify us on the journey. Take us down the path. Allow the hurdles to come that we might learn more about you. We might grow closer to you. That our lives might take your shape, the shape of truth and love and beauty and grace. Father, thank you for this space that we might discuss you, think about you, pray about you, meet you. Thank you for calling us together as your body, as your people, as your church. God, we lift it all up. We love you. Bring us your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.